0: We're back in our message series on emotions and um, it's. I hope it's been helpful to you as we kind of navigate the world of emotions, feeling that tension when faith and feelings collide and uh, just kind of come into grips with the way that God's created each one of us. Some of us are very in tune with our emotions. We can be overly emotional. That can lead to some issues at times. Other, others of us are a little bit more stoic, or just kind of even keel, or we compartmentalize our emotions to our own detriment, and that comes back to haunt us later. Uh, but we've been looking at a variety of emotions in the last few weeks. we looked at sadness, fear and courage and how that works together, joy, last week an excellent message by Pastor Dennis on love, and this week we are going to look at hurt, specifically healing from hurt. And... Uh, it's, it's just interesting to note that, that God created us with emotions and Jesus had emotions. As, as you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus even had emotions. So our task is to submit our emotions to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we can live lives of, of purpose, but learn to control and submit our emotions to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes our emotions are going to collide with matters of faith, but that's where we turn to Jesus for help. This morning we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can turn there towards the end, verses 9 to 18, but I want to give you a little bit more context for that passage first. At the time of writing in 2 Timothy, Paul is sitting in a prison, knowing that he will soon face execution. Not a very encouraging prospect, is it? Sitting in a prison. Many of us would be filled with despair, um, just you know, debilitating depression. What, what's next? I'm in a prison and I'm facing an execution. However, I imagine that Paul, knowing what he's been through, knowing the walk that he's had, the complete turnaround that he's had in his life because of Jesus, I imagine he was somewhat more reflective and even maybe even more focused given the fact that he was even writing Scripture from prison. So sitting in that cold, damp prison, Paul, I'm sure, is reflecting on the incredible ministry that Jesus called him to, starting with his shocking conversion, on the road to Damascus, meeting with Christian leaders in Jerusalem, traveling the known world, preaching the good news, seeing churches planted, just being a part of this ex- incredible, explosive growth of the Christian faith during that time. And some of us might be getting excited about this as well. All this summer we've got some missions, trips, opportunities. We've got a team going to the Philippines. We've got another team going to Utah. We've got Hey, there we go. Utah team is already excited. That's great. Um, our family of churches organization, Multiplies, taking a basketball team to Thailand and the Philippines again. We've got some great things happening as far as uh, bringing the gospel to cross-cultural situations this summer. So Paul also had this incredible team of people. He had Barnabas, Silas, Priscilla, Aquila, Luke, Peter, James, Mark, Lydia, the list goes on and on. Incredible team of people. But it wasn't always easy for Paul. He had quite a bit of sadness and regret as well. Other people had hurt him. People that were supposed to minister alongside him. People hurt him, deserted him, even left the faith. But Paul knew that he had up-and-coming leaders that he could count on, Titus and Timothy. And they were getting trained up and they were totally committed to Jesus. So here Paul is, he's in his in the prison cell, writing Timothy with a charge to continue on. All while this is happening, guess who's in charge on the outside? It's Nero. I don't know if you know anything about Nero, the Roman emperor. But initially, his his reign was pretty peaceful and fairly optimistic. And Christians kind of carried on. During the first few years of his rule, Paul was able to appeal his his first case and cleared of all charges and free to resume ministry and his Roman citizenship uh, recognized. And this is when Paul did a lot of traveling and wrote First Timothy and Titus, all on Nero's watch. Then Nero gets married. Well, sec- second marriage. And for some reason, he just goes ballistic. Um, I don't think he went insane or anything. He was very calculated in what he did. I think he was severely uh, controlled by evil. He became a very, very evil person. And at this time, uh, he kills his own mother. He kills two of his chief advisors. And he kills many of the nobility around him simply so he can seize their assets because he wants what they have. Then he initiates the gladiator combat that we've all heard about, throwing prisoners to wild animals. And he committed many, many other atrocities. You can read about this. Things that I can't even mention here, just heinous crimes. So Nero uh, has taken a turn for the worse. And then in AD 64, there's a huge fire that destroys part of Rome or a large portion of Rome. And although he is suspected of ordering that himself, he blames it on the Christian community who refused to worship him, and now this terrible persecution results. So it's during this time that now Paul's back in prison a second time, and while his first imprisonment was more like house arrest, now he's in this this dark, lonely, damp prison, likely a dungeon. So he's feeling defeated and lonely, and uh, he's gotten some instruction for Timothy. He needs Timothy to carry on and be a bold teacher of truth in the face of false teachers. So here he has some final words for Timothy. We're going to read this. This is in 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 to 18. You can follow along with me in your Bible, Red Bible, page 1003, your Bible app, whatever you have. Beginning in verse 9, Timothy chapter 4. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat that I left with Carpus and Troas. Also bring my books, especially my papers. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. But the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom all glory to god forever and ever amen have you ever thought what it, what your final words would be if you were in Paul's situation if you were in prison and you knew the next step in your life was execution what would your final words be Paul's final words to Timothy include an urgent request for a visit calling out the names of some of his deserters Ask, giving some practical requests, giving a clear warning, and then some final words of confidence in his Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul did with his last words. In verse 9, Paul says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Paul urges Timothy to visit soon. Uh, we know that this this process could have taken a while as a letter would have been carried from Rome to Ephesus and then Timothy's got to make the return trip. We could be looking at a few months. Who knows if Paul's even going to make it? But he sends this request. One last visit from Timothy. He's lonely. Paul's experiencing this intense loneliness. I don't know how intense your experiences of loneliness have been, feeling isolated, but chances are you've experienced loneliness on some level. Loneliness can occur anytime there's a, a significant change in our life. Uh, life circumstances change. Comforts or support networks are dissolved or disrupted. It can be as simple, as simple as a housing transition in your elderly years. Uh, losing independence. The loss of a spouse. For, for those younger, it can be going off to college and it's not what you thought it was going to be. A best friend moves away. Maybe you consciously distance yourself from a group, or, a group of friends, or maybe they tell you to hit the road. You've kind of kicked out of your inner circle of friends. Maybe there's been a relationship breakdown. breakdown. There's a variety of ways that we can experience loneliness in our in our day-to-day lives. Uh, Even something as simple as just having an injury. Uh, On the screen is a a shorter summary of some of my injuries that I've had. So chronic ankle sprains. High school basketball did this to me. Lots of ankle sprains. Uh, First concussion. Football. That's when I changed. I I didn't want to be. I was a running back. I got rocked at the goal line concussion next year free safety no problem just hit other people um three shoulder surgeries and then an achilles tendon rupture which uh although i wish that was you know doing something fun like dunking over someone it was it was playing slow pitch of all things out here on the field a few years ago uh achilles tendon rupture when i had that achilles tendon rupture it was on my right ankle so i couldn't legally drive not covered by insurance. I mean, I could have driven, but I didn't want to. I had a young family. I don't want to all of a sudden get in a wreck and it's all on me. So I didn't drive. I couldn't walk for a number. I think the first six weeks because of the surgery. So it was a lot of time just in the living room. Jen's gone. We had one kid at the time. They're off doing. Their, just kind of alone. Can't even drive where I want to drive. Can't go where I want to go. Kind of a simple little little example, but just just to let us think about loneliness can hit us at any time in life, no matter what's going on. Just something simple like an unexpected injury, and you can really battle loneliness. It's really real in our lives. We're so connected. We're more connected than ever with social media today, but we're connected in shallow ways. We can be very connected and be very, very lonely at the same time. So now Paul's in prison, and this type of loneliness is on a whole new level but he notes some other hurts that have contributed to his loneliness as well. Look at verse 10. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. See, Demas had been one of Paul's co-workers. He's mentioned in Second Corinthians, Colossians, Philemon. But he deserts Paul. Why? Because he loved the things of this life. Other translations say because he loved this world. In other words, he loved the worldly values and the worldly pleasures at his fingertips. There's a couple of different ways that we can love the world. We can love the world rightly. We can love the world as God created it, as it could be if it were rescued from sin and evil and if God's justice ruled. Or we can love the world for what it has to offer in terms of sin, power, and pleasure, even if gaining that hurts other people. So my question for us today is, how are we loving the world? Are we, are we actively loving the sinful aspects of the world that we're supposed to avoid? This can kind of creep into our lives. None of us are um, excluded from that, from that temptation. How are we loving the world today? As an aside, Paul's not criticizing the other two in this verse. They left for other ministry assignments. But looking at Demas' example reminds us that each of us is vulnerable to being enticed by this world and what it has to offer each one of us. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Remind and refocus. Remind and refocus. We need to remind ourselves that the world is not our home. We're just passing through. Look at Hebrews and First John. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. For a home yet to come. And in 1 John 2, verses 16 to 17, For the world offers only a a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. You ever feel like that? You see something, I'd like that. Oh, that would be nice. Oh, that would be fun. I'd like to get that. These are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So we need to remind ourselves: this is this is not permanent. Eternity we can't even fathom. Eternity, but this is the, this is just the beginning. Our earthly existence. Eternity is forever. Uh, secondly, we need to refocus. We need to refocus our minds on our purpose and mission in life to glorify God and to represent Jesus Christ to this world. 2 Corinthians 5.20 So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. This is what we do. Everywhere we go, we are representing Jesus. We want to make Jesus accessible for people by the way that we live our lives, by the love that we express to all people. We're Christ's ambassadors. Paul goes on to say in verse 11, Hey, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark, because he's going to be really helpful to me in my ministry. So while others have left Paul, Luke remains. And this would have been a huge blessing for Paul because Luke was a physician. So he could tend to any physical ailments or other needs that he had. He's a loyal friend in ministry. He's been with Paul on various missionary journeys and uh, penned the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And Paul makes that request. Bring Mark. And here's the thing about Mark. This is forgiveness in action right here. If you remember, Mark's had, Paul's had some issues with Mark and prior ministry experiences together. On Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, Mark left the mission field, and this really upset Paul. So much so that uh, Barnabas wanted to give Mark another chance, and Paul was like, no way! Paul takes... Silas. So Barnabas goes on another journey with Mark and gives him another chance. Barnabas was that encourager, son of encouragement. But now Paul recognizes Mark has proven himself faithful in ministry and he requests him to come along this time, to come and visit. He gives him a second chance. And it just makes me think, doesn't it feel good to receive some grace and mercy and a second chance from someone? We've all messed things up before. We've all uh, made an incredible mess of things at times. And usually someone is there to give us another chance, to give us a second chance. Some of us today are thriving in life because we've received that other chance. We have no business having the job that we have or being in the school that we're in or in the situation that we're in. But we've been the recipients of God's great grace and mercy. John Maxwell calls this failing forward you just kind of keep you just keep going god's sovereignty combined with his grace and mercy and using other people's spiritual gifts to encourage you you just keep going and eventually something clicks jumping ahead to verse 13 we see paul making some very practical requests i mean he's in this cold damp prison he asked for his coat and his books and as someone who likes books i can understand this but i mean paul's written a major part of the new testament and he's requesting books, likely some Old Testament scrolls, so he could meditate on that. I think that's that's likely. If you look later in this passage, verses sixteen to eighteen is almost a direct parallel to Psalm twenty-two, the very psalm that Christ quoted while he's on the cross. So Paul is immersing himself in, in the scriptures and books as he's in prison. But then he calls out specifically someone who has really hurt his cause. Paul's an apostle. He's had a dramatic conversion to Christ. He's filled with the Spirit. And yet he struggles with hurt and pain in his life as well. Look at this in verse 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. Everything we said. See, scholars speculate that this Alexander may have been a witness against Paul at his trial, but Paul has no desire for personal revenge. Can we say that about ourselves? When somebody wrongs you, what's your, what's your initial reaction? Don't you just want to make things right in some way? Get, it's so tough. Paul has no desire for personal revenge. He simply wants to warn Timothy to avoid this person or any kind of possible confrontation with him. More importantly than that, Paul simply says the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Paul doesn't hold a grudge. He just says the Lord will judge him. I really hope that many of you had a chance to watch March Madness yesterday. Did anybody watch any of these games? Check out this picture here. Um, this was incredible. Okay, this guy's dialing his inner um, Rodman from the mid-90s with his hair. Dennis Rodman haircut, I love it. Uh, he hit the game-tying shot. There was like two seconds left, the ball's in the other team's side of the court, and somehow they get it up all Purdue had to do was defend half decent. They tied the game. They go, you know how it goes. They go to overtime and they win the game. I was cheering for Purdue. Jen spent some time in the mid, I mean, I guess Virginia's over there too, but I wanted, I wanted Purdue to win. They gave it away. Super frustrating. Incredible shots. Here's the thing about athletes. And if you played sports, you might know this. Sometimes when you're angry, you play better. Sometimes if you have, if you remember, something that happened the last game against that team, that gives you a bit of drive, okay? You remember this guy? MJ, the last shot as a Chicago Bull, just moves Russell out of the way, puts it down, they win the sixth championship, last shot he ever took as a Bull. What you might not know is that MJ literally had a permanent memory of every little thing that somebody did to tick him off, and he made note of that, and he would remember that the next time he played you. Even when he made that shot, as he was doing that, it was kind of automatic for him, but he talks later about things that he was upset about, to, upset at Russell about. So his whole career was fueled by grudges, anger, and that took him to the next level. Now that might work in sports. Hey, it work, worked for me a little bit, just full disclosure. Playing football, if you're angry, you can, you, can, you, can, you can play quite well. But in life, you might think that this works too. And in some respects... It does, but you have to be careful. When you're when you're angry, that can fuel you. It can fuel you in business, for your business to succeed, for you to get ahead this way or that way. But it comes back to be poison. It doesn't translate like it does in sports. It's It's very dangerous. So we have to be careful with that. Grudges are toxic, toxic for Christians. We have to let things go. Paul sets this example for one of the toughest things. For a Christ follower to do, to leave your hurt with the Lord. When others hurt us, oppose us, undercut us, betray our friendship, our natural response is to want revenge. And yet revenge and being vindictive do the most damage to us. Our anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, it can just, it can just ruin our lives and cut us off from experiencing the love of God. You may have heard these sayings. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. How about this? Holding a grudge is like letting someone live rent-free in your head. Who's controlling you? When you you know when you see that person and that that twinge of uh, you know the grudge are in your head. They're not even thinking about that thing that you're upset about. They either didn't know they didn't know that they offended you. Or they've long dealt with it. Um, they're living rent-free in your head because of that grudge. So we're not, as Christians, we're not to seek revenge or hold on to unforgiveness. Rather, we want to acknowledge uh, that the people that have hurt us, they're going to give an account to God for their actions. We don't have to go after them. We don't have to seek revenge or hold on to unforgiveness. We can let go of our hurt and leave judgment up to God. Paul even takes us to the next level in the next verse. Let's look at verse 16. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. Can you believe that? May it not be counted against them. Not only can Paul say, leave the judgment up to God, he can say, may it not be counted against them. Now, I think Paul gets it. I think he realizes that in this in his context there, the Christians were fearful. I mean, remember Nero what he was doing? Throwing Christians to wild animals in a Colosseum? No wonder no one was there when Paul stood up for his faith. Uh he, he gets it. No one speaks in his defense, no one stands by his side. But Paul says, May it not be counted against them. Does that sound familiar to you? Remember, Paul is a disciple of Jesus Christ who said from the cross in Luke twenty three thirty four, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Jesus, Paul, us, can we all say this to people? Our capacity to forgive affects our cooperation with the work of the Holy Spirit in making us more like Jesus. Can you forgive those who have caused the deepest wounds in your life? Remember, forgiveness doesn't mean that you forget or that you condone what was done. It means that you choose not to hold the offense against someone. I'd like to invite the worship team forward. Um, a, few, a few weeks ago, I mentioned Corrie Ten Boom. And she was a Dutch Christ follower who helped, her and her family helped many, many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust by hiding them in their in their home. Then they were caught, and they were sent to the concentration camp. She lost most of her family members as they were murdered in that concentration camp. Watch this video clip as she details the challenging issue of forgiveness. If you're listening online after the fact, this is on YouTube, and it's entitled Cory Ten Boom on Forgiveness. Check out this video.
1: It was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel offseers in concentration camp. And that man said, I am now a Christian, I have found the Lord Jesus, I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I had forgiveness for the cruelties I have done but then I have asked God grace for an a, opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness and Fräulein der Bohm Will you forgive me? and I could not I remembered the suffering of my dying sister him but when I saw when I experienced that I could not forgive suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness but I was not able I could not I could only hate him and then I took one of these beautiful texts one of these boundless resources Romans 5:5 5, 5, and thank you. Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free and I could say, brother give me your hand and I shook hands with him and it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. You
0: forgive?
1: No. I can't
0: either. But he can. so Corey Ten Boom found out, that apart from Jesus Christ in her, she could not forgive. So you and I may feel the same way. That's in our own in our own strength, in who we are alone, we cannot forgive. That's only Jesus Christ in us. As we conclude with the final part of the text today, the Apostle Paul finds strength to overcome loneliness, abandonment, every other challenge, strength to forgive, to continue preaching the Gospel. He finds this in Jesus. Look at this, verse 17 and following. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. The Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And He rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He's not talking about being saved from being killed. He's going to die. He's going to be murdered. He's going to die a martyr's death. He's talking about the evil spiritual attacks. He is safe in the hand of Jesus. He's spending eternity with Jesus. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. The Greek word used for strength in this passage literally means God infused Paul with strength God infused Paul with strength this week at Alpha we are talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit just in the span of three chapters the Apostle Peter in the book of Acts is filled with the Holy Spirit three times this can happen again and again we need a fresh touch from God many times throughout our life we need to be infused with God's strength we need to be infused with a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit infused with God's strength and full of the Holy Spirit Paul knows that he will be delivered from every evil attack and be with Jesus for eternity listen we're not in a physical prison today but prison comes in a lot of different forms what prison are you in today are you in the prison of abandonment loneliness of unforgiveness a debilitating illness addiction let's come to Jesus as we worship as we close in worship let's come to Jesus and let's give give over the prison that we're in let's experience his peace let's ask him to infuse us with the kind of strength that he gave the apostle Paul let's heal from hurt because of Jesus let's pray Father we're just so incredibly thankful for your son Jesus for him laying his life down for us Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. Infuse us with your presence. We can't forgive on our own. We can only do this because of your presence within us. Jesus, we have so many struggles and hurts and pains and things that we hold on to in our lives. We're so susceptible to anger, to addiction. We need you. As we worship today, God, we, we say we turn away from those things that cannot bring healing to our lives, and we turn to you. Holy Spirit, come today and fill us with the healing spirit of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.